I'm Nicholas Pillipil, and this is the Artists at Play podcast. In this episode, we have a conversation with playwright Preston Choi and director Rena Dutt to talk about new play development. We discuss the experience of developing a new play from the perspective of the writer, director, and producer. In this episode, we'll delve more into our own collaboration in developing Preston's play, This Is Not a True Story, from early workshops and readings and to an eventual world premiere production. Hi, Preston and Rena. Welcome to the Artists at Play podcast. Hi, my name is Preston Choi. I'm the playwright of This Is Not a True Story. I'm Rena Dutt, and I'm the director of this beautiful play. Thank you for joining us today. So we literally just got off of another, we'll call it a reading workshop, online Zoom presentation work session of this play, <laughs> number... 39 how are you how are you feeling just like right off the bat I'm feeling great I'm always so excited when like actors are reading words and especially this round we added some really cool tech elements and I was just excited to see like oh it's growing and changing with every time I hear it aloud so I'm always excited how about yeah you, same Anything? here I um yesterday's reading was just uh so many elements that we hadn't seen before came together and um and our cast was really fun yesterday as well <laughs> so it was exciting to learn a little bit new a little bit more about the play every time we do a reading i feel like i'm learning more about the play and uh everybody brings so much so much to it it's great well speaking about learning about the play do one of you want to tackle and just give us a quick what is this play and what is this play about okay <laughs> I will, um, yeah, this play is on the surface. It's very much about Madame Butterfly, Miss Saigon, and the film Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. And what is the experience of these sort of like tragic heroines having to like go through their um, suicidal stories over and over and over again? Um, and sort of like turning it on its head and being like, what if they didn't want to be there? What if they actually were like tired of their um, fate and wanted to change it? And sort of sort of like watching them in this sort of like abstract um, space, trying to navigate their way out of it. Like how did they take control of their lives? How did they find agency in their lives um, when everything is written for them? Um, and it delves into a bunch of other things like Orientalism, um, and Rena, especially, has been focusing on this idea of like generational, um, what we learn versus what we change, and what, what does the next generation inspire in the previous one. Um, that's been really exciting to have her like really explore the piece for me. I was like, oh right, yes, this is a huge thing. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what I love about the play. Like, it is all of those things, and it's so much more. Like you said, it's like a huge thing, but it's like, would you? call it like a comedy as well it's so funny right <laughs> it like hits you like on all sides and you're like whoa okay ah <laughs> yeah so I definitely think it's a comedy um I you know there's so much humor in the disgusting histories that we all have to deal with 
And if we don't laugh about it, it's very hard to move forward. And so I think Preston's done this incredible job of exploring these different concepts, but putting it on a backdrop of a dark comedy. It's great. Yeah, that's what I love about it. Cause it's like, you know, in the two and a half levels of improv I've taken, they teach you that like comedy is the truth or there's truth in comedy. <laughs> and because we're able to laugh at it, it's cause like you're saying, it's dealing with all these very real and truthful things that are like taking over Twitter, you know? And yeah. so the fact that you found a way to make us all laugh at it, it's great and I love it. Um, and I know, like, cause we're speaking about new play development, we're slowly finding all of those layers as we continue to work on it in every new session, which is really fun for the process um, as a producer to see. And it's always new every time. But my question now is, since we're talking about new play development, let's start from the beginning. How do you start a play, Preston? Like, where does it come from? What is, what is step one or what is step 0.5, I would say? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this play started at, as like a nagging feeling um, that I like wouldn't leave me alone. I think growing up watching um, depictions in the theater of like Asian people is very stereotypical and very racist and just very jarring. Um, things like Thoroughly Modern Millie or Anything Goes and then like Madame Butterfly and Miss Saigon and just seeing how like they take a human and then like tilt it for the purpose of story of someone else's story. Um, and it just strips the person of humanity. Um, and that just sort of like <laughs> got under my skin for some reason. Um, and so I wanted to write something sort of like against that force, like present a different story, a different narrative um, in contrast to those and also while I was an undergrad, I had so many Asian acting friends who were just like not getting cast as much. Mm. And I was like, I'll write something for you. I'll write something that only you could do and you could do it so, so well. Um, so that's kind of like the impetus of it. But I think, yeah, I think a lot of good plays start from like, I can't shake this thing in my mind. So I have to process it with a group of other people. That's good. I find like that's the reason to write a play, right? I feel like speaking personally like I'll write a play and be like this just sounds fun and then you write and you're like this sucks like you know, say like, what was the <laughs> point of that um, that's really interesting I love that so for this play that's where you started how long does it take you and maybe this is a general idea or it's this play specifically but how do you know a play is done and I know plays are never done so I'll give you this how do you know a play is a first draft ready or a play is ready to be submitted for opportunities to be developed by other companies or people? Started this play in 2016, like started writing it in 2016 and like had a draft, like a full draft a year later. Um, and like, I was very lucky to develop it on campus in like a student production um, and then I was like, oh yeah, I have a play. I've seen it up and I'm excited to tear it apart <laughs> and start up again. Um, and I think when you're ready to share it with the world is when you're like, I have nothing more of myself in my brain that I can mm -hmm. think of adding to it. And I mm -hmm. really need other people to um, get their eyes and their hands all over the text and start playing with it. Um, and I think that's when you know when you're like, when you've gone through all the changes you think you can make and you're like, what else can be done? You know, there's stuff that needs to be done. Um, 
and so you find other people <laughs> and hope they want to play with your play <laughs> and we love that as a producer that's what we love we we want you to be like we're re- i'm ready and would you call yourself a perfectionist i find a lot of people love to rewrite rewrite the first draft and it's like hey this is a first draft like we expect it to suck <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> what's your process on that i think i've gotten much less a perfectionist over the years <laughs> i think at the <laughs> beginning i was like if it's not right i will start over from the beginning um but yeah i think it is just accepting that they take time and like the plays yeah. i'm most proud of are the ones that are like years in development like they're all like three or four years old now at this point yeah and yeah as just- a producer like hint to any writers listening like when you submit a play like that, like most of them are like first or second drafts and like, we don't expect perfection, but we do want to be able to gauge your talent and gauge what you're trying to say. And a lot of the times, like it's there and like it's in the bones, but we want something not perfect. Cause that's, that's the whole fun of this process, especially with this play. And like, when we first were working on your play, it was like, oh, this is like, this is great and we love it and not in a bad way, but it wasn't perfect, but that's, that was oh, the no. best thing about it. Right. <laughs> and that's why we're, we're on what year two or three of this journey with this play and it just gets better and better. So you submitted the play, a company got it, say our play has it and we do a reading of it and we're like, awesome. We love it. We, we took notes, we learned. And then especially with this play, like I said, it's been like three years. So we've done like two readings, multiple like behind the scenes workshops. And so, and we just finished one. After all of that, you you learn everything at every step, but when in this journey or another one that you've had where you've been like, okay, I'm done. Like I need to not do a workshop or a reading. Like what is that marker of being, I'm ready for to run with it put it on its feet are or are you there i honestly it's so hard to tell sometimes i think i don't know i don't know it's so it's like because it's like in the back of my head i'm like there's always something that can be changed there's always some character's arc that can be adjusted or like some plot point clarified um but i think truly you do learn so much when you have to stage it and you're like it's not just like do the words and the story set, but like does the physical staging and like having a director to be like, hi, it's really hard to make someone suddenly have a baby in a minute. Can we? <laughs> How about for you, Rena? How does that change? I know um, as the director in a reading, maybe you can speak more on it, but like you also kind of work as like a dramaturg where you have to like think about this piece, right? And for you, how what is that step where you're like, okay, I just, I'm done reading it. Let's go. Mm. No, I, I think that's a really great question because I, I do a lot of development work. And um, and when you see the synergy in the room, because every cast is going to bring something new, right? Um, when you see your playwright's intentions on the page, that's one thing between you and the playwright. When you bring in your producers and your actors on top of that, everybody is going to take something else. So for me, I I feel like the basic understanding of what's on the page is what's reflected um, accurately to what the playwright's intentions were. Uh, Then if there's a nice candid conversation, um, it's easy to pinpoint, oh yeah, what's on the page is ready. 
because every group that's going to be performing this particular piece is going to find new subtext. They're going to find new things. That's never going to change. There's always going to be something new. Um, so, so for me, I'm kind of like, you know, when the synergy happens, when everyone's kind of on the same page in the mm -hmm. same play, in the same tone, in the same world, uh, it's probably ready. Serena, so, you're talking about how you work in a lot of new work development. Can you talk more about that? Like, how does a, working on a new work differ from working on a play that's been published and produced like 200 times as a director? What's the difference? Um, well, I, I like you come from a producing background as well. So uh, for me, I find a lot of joy in figuring out what a creative person wants other people to perceive and then translating that on a page so that they can. <laughs> so development work um, for me, for me, it's very much about the playwright. What what it, what it, are his intentions? What does he want to see happen um, to his characters? What are those arcs? How do we flesh out every single character, even if they have one scene? Everybody needs a mission. Everybody needs an arc, no matter how small or large mm -hmm. the character is. There needs to be a transition, a change that happens in their life. Um, so those kinds of specific things are exciting for me to talk to playwrights and just see. Well, well, you have this character, but. They don't seem to change at all from the beginning to the end. So why are they there? <laughs> um, but having candid conversation, so much trust is involved, right? If there's no trust, then it's it's so hard to truthfully get to where you want to go. Um, and so those candid conversations are, are what's exciting to me for development. That's what I love about development too, because, you know, like theater, it's a team effort. It's like literally everyone, but in development, it's like, I feel like even though we're not doing as much, we need each other even more in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's so fun because of that, like building that trust. And it's very, you know, like when you do a production afterwards, you're like best friends with everyone for two weeks, you know? It's <laughs> like, but I feel like with the reading, like you get four weeks after where you're just like, I love you <laughs> because like you're that much closer because you have to be, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's fun. With new play development, you're talking about all the good stuff. What are struggles of new play development or reading settings that were that are just hard, or maybe it's not even like bad struggles, but what's the dirty side of this process? Um, I I personally would say working with people in the room who are trying to change the playwright's story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I'm like, listen mm -hmm. to what your playwright wants to say and then help them figure out how to put it on the page. That's so funny because I feel like <laughs> when I've done some readings where it's like, we need to give like the rules and you do like, they do this in talkbacks. I don't remember that woman's name, but like they're the rules of like, when you give notes, it's like, you're not changing the play. We just kind of want like that reaction and the feeling, but yeah, people go in there and like, I think that you should rewrite page seven through nine. That's and the here worst. are some lines. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the worst. It's, it's like I am so happy to have a strong opinion. I was like, I'm glad you had such a strong reaction. <laughs> Just like <laughs> half the time, it's like, okay, how do I take <laughs> that very prescriptive note? <laughs> what is useful <laughs> at this? What's the silver lining <laughs> of that person wanting me to change my ending? I was like, okay. Oh so, I... President, speak more about that. How do you? 
process notes? I think it's a combination of like after I send in the draft, I'll have thoughts in my head where it's like, I wish I could change this, wish I could change that. Um, but then the actors can read something and like dissuade some of those fears. And it's like, oh, that actually works fine. So I don't need to worry about that. And then when the notes come from other people in the room, it's like, what, like, I had that thought, they had that thought, okay, I really need to change it. Cause if multiple people are having this thought, I should probably um, figure out like what's going on there. But if there is a thought that's like, feels like, oh, this is for a different play or a different angle on the story. Um, usually in my head, I'm like, okay, what have I done that might give someone an inkling that this is what the play is about? And what can I do to gently nudge it so that people don't think that when they encounter the piece, which you can't control all the time. Mm -hmm. But if enough people are thinking it, I'm like, oh, let me, how can I adjust it so I can really clarify what I'm trying to say? So you don't, your mind doesn't wander in that direction. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I want to add to that too. Um, Cause I, I think that's like the joy of working with somebody like Preston, who is really great at weeding, like what, what his intentions are versus what other people's notes are. Um, I think another part of the development process that can be really hard is new, new playwrights that get defensive mm -hmm. by notes. And it's, um, you know, no one's trying to insult the work. Everyone's trying to help it. And you have to walk into these rooms with all different kinds of note givers and really gauge well oh that was in my brain but that wasn't on the page which is why they're not understanding it um so how do I clarify my work as a writer so that other people see what's in my brain um because it's never meant to hurt material yeah. I see a lot of new playwrights feel like it is that's so funny. I remember when I wrote my first play and I did like my first staging of it, I was I was that. I was like, I came in there like, this thing is perfect. Don't even come for me. And I remember being like, they're doing notes. I'd be like, I'm like yeah, but like the subtext is so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know that feeling. Well, the first play I ever had a stage reading of, when it happened, I sat in the back and the part we through was like, I <laughs> like, I think I'm my own worst critic, where I was like, I can't stand <laughs> to hear my own words. I need to leave the room. <laughs> I need to get out of here. Um, and I've eventually learned to be like, all right, just sit in it, sit in the uncomfortableness and just embrace it. That's so interesting. So like with readings and stage readings, we present them to audiences and maybe even just writers and directors as general. Do you get like stage fright like you're, you're behind the scenes but you're actually completely on the stage so do you do you get that feeling as a writer and director I think I get it a little bit I, I sometimes I don't maybe I'm just constantly seeking validation but when certain laughs don't hit I'm like oh no <laughs> oh, no 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 because um, a lot of a lot of the things the method of storytelling relies on using comedy to sort of like power through more difficult things so when the comedy doesn't hit, I'm like, oh no. Um, Do you ever yeah. find that they find something not a joke, completely funny, and you're just like, why, why? <laughs> How about you? <laughs> yeah, I um to both those to both those questions. Um, my <laughs> my <laughs> stage fright comes from, uh, you know these staged readings, it's such an opportunity to explore for mm. everybody involved in the team, right? Um, it's an opportunity for actors to hold their script, but still 100,000% engulf their bodies in the material. Um, it's an opportunity for playwrights to try new scenes, to try new dialogue, to try new work. Um, 
and directors to like, you know, think of quick ways to direct a reading. My nightmare is having not enough time for a reading or not enough time to really dive into the text with the actors and get on the same page, which is pretty common for staged readings, I think. Um, yeah, speaking of timeline, <laughs> when we do readings, usually we give you like a few days, let's say like 12 hours to read the play, work on the play, halfway stage the play. Is that like for you both, is that like a good enough time or is that still like, I wish I had more, it's stressful. Like, how do you feel about that? For, for me, I, I am, you know, that's, that is probably half my table work time. Yeah. Um, and for these readings, I just feel like the text is so important. The story is mm -hmm. so important. We're giving people a shorthand to a bigger picture and we need the time. But I know that with con contractually, it's really hard to do that with readings um, because of the number of hours were allotted by unions and stuff. But Well, second segueing yeah. into this process, we've been working on this for forever. So is it, have you ever had this kind of experience being with this play, being with a play for so long? For me, it's really, there's something about like, when you have a one and done reading, it's very much like, okay, the first day is just like getting people on board with the play. And then the second day is just like, all right, we're getting people, the actors on getting in, into the words. And then by the third day, it's like, oh, here we go. And then the talk and then we're done. But this has been so nice in that it's like allowed to take more time and it doesn't feel rushed. It's like, it's like slowly growing month by month. Um, and it's also, I feel like I have so much, not that I don't have trust in collaborators, but like when we have this much time together, it's like, oh, I know we're all like on the same board. We all have like a common um, understanding of like where the play has been, where it's going. Um, and I just have like, not that I haven't had faith in other people, but I have so much faith in the collaborators in this process because I'm like, oh yeah, they know everyone. They like they know what this play is, and they really are invested in it with this time. So it's like, yeah, it's been really comforting to have this process. Yeah, just just quickly for the readers slash listeners of the podcast. So a workshop of a play. Just I assume everyone knows. Maybe they don't. But a workshop of a play. But what we're doing, we're pretty much in well now, but in a room or a Zoom room, think of it at a table, like they said, reading the play, working on the text and just learning, going back and forth. And especially with this process, it's been kind of like a playground, I would say, right? Where we're switching out cast members, seeing what actors can bring and what different voices sound like and um, adding elements, taking out elements like PowerPoints and voices and projections, you know? Um, so in case you didn't know what a workshop is, it's kind of along those lines of, you know, like a theatrical development playground at a table slash Zoom room. Um, also shout out to Liz Lerman, who's the person I called the woman who came up with talk back rules. <laughs> <laughs> That's like pretty much where we're at. Now we're just waiting for the world to open up. I've been so in love with this process because of the switching of actors and voices and people in the room and questions and evolution of the play. Um, however subtle or big, it's just been really a joy for the last few months to get to see what's happening next. Yeah, I love adding in actors and switching them out because in my personal experience, 
an actor can completely change a character or a character's arc in a play just by like a little subtlety that they bring that could be like a type of laugh and I'm like oh yeah that character needs to change a hundred percent like like I know like people inside joke complain about actors but (laughs) you're important don't tell them but like they're really important (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah but you There's know, some- uh, oh no, I was just gonna say uh, briefly um, for early stages of plays, early stage development. Uh, I love working with actors who aren't used to development or cold mm. reads mm-hmm. because then you really see where the text is. Yeah. Um, but actors who have been like doing this for a while will correct. They'll correct things mm-hmm. that are not on the page. Um, so that's all I was going to say about that. If they're really good at it, it's like they know how to make the strong, interesting choices that make a work feel more nuanced than it might actually be in its current state. Where it's like they, their brains are just tuned in. And yeah, it's like it is so useful to have people who are like, sure, it might be like, those are the choices I would make. But it's like, oh, but those are the choices the text is offering to them. And I need to. Interesting. I need to write that down. Yeah, that's so interesting because as a producer, like we have actors in our minds were like those are good development actors those are reading actors because we have limited time and we know that they'll they'll get it done and they'll give us a good product but now hearing that it's like oh maybe we should talk to creative sometimes be like do you want bad actors (laughs) 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 not bad actors I'm just but I mean like it's an interesting thing to think about as like the person who's trying to collect the cast or like um organize things and being like oh yeah maybe sometimes for the writer not getting the perfect person is the perfect thing for them yeah, yeah, or a... even if it's like they're like great for the character, but they aren't used to new work, so they mm-hmm. might not be used to like things changing so often. Yeah. Which like, or it's like it because it's like there's always like the who's great in auditions versus who like just needs more time in their process, and mm-hmm. having those different actors involved can be really fun. Mm-hmm. Also, like when you're saying it's like chemistry, like who mixes with who in mm-hmm. this cast, who like because the reactions are always different. Um, and yeah, it's so rewarding when it's like when you find the actor who really makes a role sing and you're like, oh, yes, <laughs> I was so terrified this wouldn't work, but you, you've you made it really work. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last thing before we end the conversation is just to talk about the audience. What is the importance of an audience for development? I think for play development, it can go in two different directions. Uh, there's the marketing element where an audience starts to feel like they're part of the process. And then it's really exciting to see the baby birthed in a live production, right? Um, so there's something there's something that's, you know, this is for our community. I mean, we wouldn't do theater if it wasn't for the community. Um, it wouldn't be theater. So yeah. um, so I think just on a visceral level, there's there's that angle to it. On the other side, which is more of a results-oriented mm-hmm. thing is, um, what's landing, what's not landing, what's a surprise to us as producer, playwright, director, um, what needs to be carved more for the audience to get it. But um, I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of many audiences through the development stages, Mm -hmm. but but I am a fan of, you know, 
this is what we're doing for you. This is what we're developing for you. And when the world reopens and the apocalypse is over, <laughs> maybe we'll put this on a stage for you too. Uh, <laughs> but especially with the with the BIPOC conversations right now and your white American theater, I think this particular play has value on so many levels, um, societally and in our field um, and in terms of writing and performers we're using. It, it's just insanely relevant. Because an audience is really so useful to be like, when you hand them a story, whether it be like, yes, this is a story that we believe in. This is a story that like we care about and it means something to us. Um, especially when you have a specific audience in mind where it's like, I'm sure many Asian American actors, if they encounter this script, will be like, oh yes, you know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and that's just like a comfort, I think, to be like, to be able to offer something to like people you care about and be like, let's have a moment about this. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, definitely like we were just saying, the other side of like, now that we're saying something, are we saying it in the right way? So it <laughs> yeah. hits you in the right way in the right moments. So, so yeah. That's what I find interesting right now in like the current landscape of everyone is seeking out representations of themselves. But at the same time, everyone is letting everyone know that we're not all the same, like ours at play, we do like Asian, Asian American works, but like underneath that, it's so many things. So it's not like a blanket. And I find when we, when you, when we write these plays that represent different people or represent us as like non-white people, the people who connect with that in the audience bring like these things I find in my work where it's like, oh yes, thank you. I, for representing me blah 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 and it's like oh I didn't know that I was doing that you know like I didn't I would I didn't know that this side character with the smallest arc was like this huge thing for that subset of people kind of a thing and it's so interesting having that kind of conversation now because I don't remember having these conversations maybe even a few years ago where um like, oh, I feel represented, I feel seen in this play. And I was like, oh, wow. And there's like this new layer of conversation I find in development where we have, not we have to, but like we kind of have to talk about it. Like, you know, like I was working on a play and the character was just Asian. And in my development process, they're like, well, why is he only Asian? You know, and then it, then it came back when we did another workshop of it. It was like, okay, now he's Filipino, but this character is still not me. Like the character is me, but like I was like, uh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I that's what I'm loving about audiences right now is the whole hashtag representation matters and how they're using that as consumers of new works and to feed back into the piece, which I find really interesting. You yeah. know what I'm excited by in addition to that mm -hmm. is all the people who produce Miss Saigon and produce Madame <laughs> Butterfly the people who thought that they were giving representation, that they were doing a service for the Asian American community by writing these characters and roles. Um, I'm excited for them to come see this show. Yeah. And then have an awakening. Yeah. I will say, I, I do love the saxophone song in Miss Saigon. <laughs> I don't even know what it's called, but I talk about it quite often. I'm like, I love that saxophone song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. I, I really I had fun. Yeah, for everyone listening, we'll continue working on This Is Not A True Story, and hopefully someday soon, you can see it too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. 
Thanks for having us. Thank you to our special guests, Preston Choi and Rena Dutt, for joining us in this conversation on new play development and Preston's play, This Is Not a True Story. We appreciate your insights and look forward to bringing this play to life on stage with you. Artists at Play is a Los Angeles-based theater collective that produces theatrical programming exploring the Asian-American experience. Our producing members are Julia Cho, Catherine Cho, Stephanie Lau, Nicholas Spillipil, and Marie Ren Velez. Learn more about Artists at Play by going to artistsatplay.org and following us on Twitter at AA Play. This Artists at Play podcast was produced and edited by me, Nicholas Pillipil. Special thanks to Eloise Wong of the Linda Lindas who wrote and recorded our podcast theme. <laughs>